in the book of Acts. This is a special day and a different kind of day because we have a baptism today of Jacob Ochiro. So we're going to give an introduction, a reintroduction to our sermon series in the book of Acts. Some of you watch television. Uh, I know I watch more than I ought to. And if you uh, watch a season of a show, oftentimes, especially in a drama series, they'll have a little recap of what happened the episode before. Well, if you wait till the next season, season two, then they have a longer recap of what happened that whole season before. So that's what we're doing here. We've done an introduction to the book of Acts. We started the book of Acts, and then we're going to have a reintroduction to what we've covered and where we're going going forward. It's also an introduction to what we'll be doing at the Lord's table and at baptism. Beginnings are important. On Friday, we had a chance to go to watch Basil and Augie's football game up in Hayward, and you could watch the team, the other team as they ran out, and you could see automatically they were bigger and stronger and louder than our team was. And from the very beginning, that opening kickoff, we knew that it was going to be a hard game. The opening kickoff did not go our way. The other team caught the ball, returned it almost 100 yards or whatever they caught it at, the 30-yard line, 70-yard return for a touchdown. And ever since that moment, it was hard to get things back on track. We've all seen that happen in our own lives where we start down a certain path and it's hard to make that readjustment midway through. They set a tone. They set a trajectory. Beginnings don't always tell you what the outcome will be, but they can give you a pretty good idea of what to expect. If you're off at the beginning... It's hard to get back on track. So this week, as we jump back into our study of the Acts of the Apostles, we look, first of all, at the beginning of the church. We see that this is the beginning of, of God doing something new. It's a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. So Luke wrote, and he talked about two parts, as we talked about several months ago. It starts out in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, the first book is the Gospel according to Luke. I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. The death of Jesus, as we saw at the end of Luke, wasn't the beginning, wasn't the end of something so much as it, as it was the beginning of something else. His resurrection from the dead was the sign that in Christ all is being made new. We see right away in the story of Acts the Holy Spirit anointing God's people for ministry. Just the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of the, of the earth at creation. Just as the Holy Spirit of God descended on Jesus in his baptism, the Holy Spirit of God, we see in Acts chapter 2, descends on the followers of Jesus and he fills them and anoints them for ministry. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. This is when we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other 
tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. What we see from this point onward is the church of Jesus Christ expanding miraculously. The fearful become bold. Immediately, Peter, who just a few days earlier was running and hiding and afraid, now he's bold and he's standing up and and facing death in the face and speaking the truth of the gospel. That's a miracle when our lives are changed that dramatically. It was a miracle. Peter was dramatically changed. People believed. People whose hearts were hard just days earlier were suddenly open to the message of the gospel, and they believed. They believed what? They believed the message of the risen Christ, that he was the savior of the world, and God's spirit comes upon those people and anoints them to do ministry. We also see the spirits creating a global people of God. If we're going to make a comparison to the Spirit of God coming and hovering over the waters of creation, it kind of begs the question, what is it that the Holy Spirit of God is creating here? The Spirit is creating a new people in Jesus Christ. The promise to Abraham that we've been talking about in in youth group and in junior church, the promise to Abraham that, that through his seed, all the people of the earth would be blessed is coming to pass right here before our eyes in Acts chapters 1 and 2 and following. Before, in the days of the Old Testament, one had to become a Jew in order to be saved. They had to come to God's covenant through the Jewish nation. If you were a Gentile, let's say you were living in Assyria, uh, or you were living in in, uh, one of these other neighboring countries, and you heard and you believed in Jehovah God, the God of Israel, maybe you heard the stories, and this did happen in the Old Testament, You had to come to Israel, and you had to come and become part of, of their system and their way of life. You had to become circumcised if you were a man. And even still, you were still a little bit on the outside. They could come and they could be saved and they could become part of the the promise, but, but they weren't still ethnically Jewish. But through Christ, we see this change taking place. God's people are empowered to go out into the world and to call all people, all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations to come worship King Jesus. We see this in Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is why Christians are involved in missions. Because we believe the good news of gospel goes to the, all the ends of the earth. There is no person on the earth that should not hear of the love and saving power of God. And that's why in Acts 2.21 it said, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be American. You don't have to be whatever country or ethnicity or background you, you, you come from to be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved because of Jesus Christ. And there's images here in this early chapters of Acts that remind us of other Old Testament stories. They're images of Babel. We've talked about this as a youth group in Genesis chapter 11, whereas God's people rebelling against God, not wanting to obey God's command, instead decide that they're going to make a name for their own selves instead of exalting the name of God. And God comes down to the earth confuses their languages and judges them and separates them because of their rebellion against God. What do we see in Acts? Instead, we see God coming down in a powerful way. 
reversing in some ways this curse. He comes down in blessings, and instead of there being unintelligibility between the languages, he brings intelligibility. When the apostles open their mouth, everyone can hear in their own language. This is a sign that God is doing something unique and special here. And they hear the good news in their own language by a miraculous gift of God. Instead of judgment, we see God saving grace. We also see in the pages of Acts a biography. A biography that fits all the norms of the biographies of that time period. In fact, there are scholars that have gone through and compared all the great biographies of the ancient Greeks and of the Romans and compared it to the book of Luke. And they say, Luke is following the, the standards of the day. In fact, he's a good historian, a good biographer. But Luke's biography is different than these other biographies because the other biographies tend to focus on a hero, one man, one great man that's being highlighted and exalted. And in Luke, we don't see that. Sure, Peter and Paul are kind of separated and shown uniquely, but that's very unusual for the biographies of the day. In fact, the hero of Luke's work is not a man at all. It's God himself. And throughout the story of Luke, we see God at the center of every movement, God at the center of the actions, not just of Peter and Paul. In fact, we see Peter and Paul's frailty and and humanness and even sometimes sinfulness. But through it all, we see the heroic work of God reconciling the world to himself. Because of this, we highlighted some things that we need to watch for. And I'm going to repeat those to you today. You may remember those. My my my, uh, instincts tell me you don't. Um, because I barely remember the things that I preached a couple months ago, much less last week. But what do we want to watch for? I'm just going to go through these very quickly because this is going to be a shorter lesson with our baptism coming up. But I want to remind us as we head into next week, as Pastor Bob continues to preach through the book of Acts, to, one, watch God keep his promises. Over and over again, you will see in the book of Acts, God talk about the, the writer of God speaking through Luke, writing through Luke, talking about the Old Testament promises of God that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Watch for those. Sometimes you have maybe have Bibles that, that kind of inset these quotations. Mark those. Look at those. Follow them up in the Old Testament and follow them as they are fulfilled in the New Testament. God makes promises and he keeps his promises. That's something politicians don't do very well, right? They want you to forget the promises they made. God keeps saying, no, remember I said this. Remember I said this. Remember I said this. Now watch me keep it. Watch God keep his promises. Luke ends with God's people waiting, and Acts begins with the waiting being rewarded. The prophecies are being fulfilled. And you even see stories of people coming to faith because they're reading the Old Testament prophecies and going, what does that mean? And the apostles and the church goes, this is what that means. Look at Jesus. Second, we talked about watch God's people radically love and serve. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about how the early church functioned, how they practiced devotion and hospitality, how they were awed by the work of God, how people were being saved and they were baptized and and they, they had hospitality together. We see prayer being emphasized. We want to watch, we want to learn from that. There's a lot that the American church can learn from looking back at these early chapters and going, okay, we've strayed in some serious ways. Watch God's people radically love and serve as an example to us. Watch them take gospel risks. Watch them practice risky hospitality. People that maybe they shouldn't be inviting into their homes, but they do anyway. Watch. 
Watch God turn tragedy into triumph. Over and over, we're going to see how bad things that are happening to God's people get turned into good things for God's eternal purposes. We need to hear that. You can turn on the TV this morning right at home, and you can watch preacher after preacher telling you, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be better for you. Well, we see in the book of Acts that doesn't always happen that way. In eternity, things are better, but sometimes life in this, in this world is full of suffering. And how does a Christian deal with suffering in this life? We're going to see how God turns tragedy into triumph. We're going to see how God builds his global family, how God reaches out into the ends of the earth through his people to call sinners to salvation. We're going to see how the gospel advances from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We want to watch, fifthly, as God's servants boldly proclaim it's hard to boldly proclaim, especially in this atmosphere. I saw a sports figure this week, not even that boldly proclaim. Maybe you see a little thing, Drew Brees got up and said, it made a little commercial and said, hey, you know, in October, it's National Bring Your Bible to School Month. Bring your Bible to school and don't be ashamed of your faith. And he just got blasted, blasted. How dare he be associated with such a horrible thing? So sometimes it does take a little bit of boldness to say, I follow Jesus. But we see over and over again, not just being made fun of on social media, not just being set aside, not just being marginalized because of their faith, but we see God's servants stand up, proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and King, proclaim that they saw Jesus rise from the dead, and then go off to be executed. Tell you what, I would not be executed for something I knew was a lie. But these men saw it with their eyes, they saw the resurrected Jesus, and they so believed it that they were willing to die for that faith. And they did. We're going to watch God's servants boldly proclaimed. We're going to see Stephen taking rocks to the head while he's proclaiming Jesus resurrected from the dead. As soon as that first rock was thrown, I'd be recanting if it wasn't true. But he knew it was true. We're going to watch God's church turn the world upside down down. It's fitting then that we reintroduce this series with a baptism this morning. In some ways, the sermon's a little shorter, but in other ways, it's longer, because we go from this to actually living out and seeing the, the fact that God is still working in people's lives today. He's still saving souls, and we'll practice what the early church did. They probably didn't have a baptistry like this with heated water, although they did have baptistries. They're outside, um, sometimes they just use what the Jews were using for purification rites, or they would go down to a river. We're going to go into this nice little heated tank, but probably a some Sunday we'll be at the ocean, or we'll be at my backyard in the swimming pool, or we'll do something else. We don't have to do it in a little tank like this that's all sanitized and clean, but we will. We're going to take the Lord's Supper today. We have uh, bread here. This isn't exactly the same kind of bread. And we have wine here that's got no alcohol in it. They probably had a little alcohol in the wine that they took at that first Lord's Supper. We're going to practice the same things that the early church practiced. So it's important for us understanding the early church, but it's important for individuals. It's important for Jacob this morning. In many ways, this Sunday is a new beginning for Jacob. As he'll share it a little bit, he put his faith in Christ some time ago, but today is the day that he's publicly identifying with Christ and with his church in the waters of baptism. 
It's fulfilling what Jesus commanded Christians to do. As Bob talked about several weeks ago in the Great Commission passage, where he says, All authority, in Matthew chapter 28, has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see this again repeated in in an action in Acts chapter 2, where Peter gets done preaching and he says to the people as he's finishing up his sermon, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. I wish we could say today we have 3,000 joining us in baptism today, but we have one. You're our symbol, Jacob, of thousands more that we pray will come to Christ. In our baptism, we're not just getting wet. We're saying at the outset of our lives as publicly identified Christians that we are dead to our old sinful selves and are born again through Christ's death and resurrection. We are identified with Christ in our baptism. Just as Christ was baptized, he wasn't baptized because he was sinful, he was baptized and showing us this image and this picture of identification. And when the Father looks down on the Son and the baptism of Christ and the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends and the heavens open and, Jesus, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. For those of us that are in Christ and for Jacob in the water of baptism today, we're going to imagine the heavens opening and the Son, the Father saying to Jacob, because of the Son, I am well pleased with you. We're identifying in our baptism with Jesus Christ. It's also important for our church, this particular expression of the body of Christ, this local church. We're still a young church. We're a growing church. On any given Sunday, and as I look around the room this morning, maybe even this Sunday, we may have more here this Sunday. Uh, We have a greater percentage of people who were not here a year ago as we do have that were here a year ago. I could have everyone raise their hands. Who weren't here a year ago? We'd have more, probably. It's going to be close. And probably in a year, we could have the same scenario, where it's even more. As a growing church, there's good things that happen with that, and sometimes there's challenging things that happen with that. It's critical in these early stages, as we're growing, that we lay the right foundation so that as we grow, we are in line with God's word and God's design. In the year 1113, very few of you were alive back then, there's a little town in Italy that was bustling and growing. The economy was booming, and the church was growing as well, and a wealthy widow had a vision for donating money to the church, and she donated money to build a bell tower next to their new beautiful church building. So they got all the finest materials, they hired the very best architects, and they began building. And the problem was that when they dug the foundation, they only dug it three meters deep, and the ground was soft, and it was wet, 
and there was sand, and there was shells, and it wasn't stable ground. And they built this beautiful building, the beginning of this beautiful bell tower, and they got about two or three stories up, and they began to notice something very significant about this bell tower in the town of Pisa. It was leaning. And so over the years, they began to try to correct it. And I've never been there, but I love looking at pictures of it. And actually, the building is curved. Because they tried to recompensate by building it a little taller on the other side. And then if you look today, they put lead weights on the one side of the foundation to try to balance it out. And they're doing all these things to try to correct what could have been done so simply from the very beginning. If the foundations were dug deeper, and if they were made more solid, they would have had a lot less effort and time and waste of money trying to correct this leaning tower. Of course, maybe no one would have gone to see this monstrosity, but, but still... Today, they're probably glad it leaned, but back then, they were not glad it leaned. It leaned. And the funny thing is, out of all the great buildings in Italy that people take credit for, no one wanted their name on this tower. <laughs> they still are not exactly sure who the architect and the designer was. At its worst, it leaned at a five-degree angle. I say this as an illustration. As a young church, it's important that we build on a solid foundation. Small misalignments here and there will become major problems as we grow. And this is something as elders we talk about a lot. How do we lay a good foundation? How do we make sure that we're not off by just slight degrees that as we grow and get bigger, they become major problems later on? We're building, and we're building on new traditions, and we're building on old traditions. And traditions, if I can just speak on that just for a second, can be good and they can be bad. As Americans, we don't really like traditions that much. We're kind of a new country, and as a culture, we kind of disdain the old. We always are looking forward. I lived in the state of Wisconsin. That's where I was born. The motto of the state is forward, okay? Well, having lived in Asia, that would never be the motto for an Asian country. Like, there's always an emphasis on what came before, right? The age is important, but in America, it's forward. We're always looking future. But sometimes it's good for us to stop and look back. Traditions can be very good and healthy and helpful. Traditions can help protect us from the errors of our age. We don't have to look very far past in our history to see that Christians have got it really, really wrong sometimes, especially in this country, because they're really focused on what's happening now. You could read some great theologians who got it really wrong in issues of race and slavery. And you hear Christian pastors going on and on and on, defining race in such a way that we look back and go, how could they do that? That's heretical. It denies the gospel. They're saying a whole class of people is subhuman. And we look back and say, they missed it. Tradition could protect us from those errors by helping us to see what the wisdom of thousands of years of Christians are pointing to. We see illustrations in history of, of churches that get so tied up in politics. Look at the Lutheran church during Nazi Germany. They were right in step with Hitler. How did that happen? We can get caught up in the idolatry of our age if we're not careful. So traditions give us a check against that. I could read a theologian from 1,700 years ago and go, oh, I need to watch out for that. Why was you know, Augustine so against the theater? Okay, I need to be careful, all right? I need to watch myself here. Traditions tie us to this community of believers that still exists in heaven, that speaks in to our understanding of Scripture. Traditions also give us something to pass down to our children and our children's children. 
We don't have a new faith. We have an ancient faith that was passed down from generation to generation as we talked about last week. It's a good thing. Traditions can be good and they can be helpful. Traditionalism is damaging and dangerous. This is the bad part about tradition. Traditions can also lead us to compounded errors. We can be like that, that building of pieces that just slowly and just keep trying to compensate and one error on top of another as we try to compensate. Traditions can keep us blinded to Scripture. Sometimes we just get so used to the way things are that as we're reading the Word of God, we just skip sections because they don't make sense to us in the light of our current grid of thinking. We can't see it. They can become, make us blind to what God's Word is saying. Traditions also can become legal burdens to bear. It's very easy for the traditions that we start that are good things to do, that maybe you know, had good reasons in the beginning to suddenly become burdens because we forgot why we did it. We just do it. So we can see that traditions can be good and traditions can be bad. And even though we're a young church, we have our traditions. Those of you who've been coming even for a couple months, you kind of know what to expect on a Sunday morning. If the bulletin isn't printed, hey, where's the bulletin, right? If we didn't get up and do a greeting and have a call to worship, you'd be kind of like, what's going on? Even the fact that I'm preaching before we do the offering or anything else, you're kind of going, this is unsettling. This is strange. What happened to our tradition? We also recognize, though, that those coming to our church have traditions and expectations they bring with them. Like we said before, most of us, including myself, have not been here a year. We're not here a year ago. We're relatively new, and, but we don't come without anything. Some of us were Christians before we came to this church, and we have experiences with other churches, and we kind of have an expectation. I think the pastor should preach much shorter. Can I get an amen? No. <laughs> Wish they'd do it this way. I really like this program that they had at my last church. Each Sunday in our services, we have people with a Catholic backgrounds or Lutheran backgrounds or Presbyterian backgrounds or Charismatic backgrounds, all different kinds of Baptist backgrounds, free church backgrounds, non-denominational backgrounds, which are really just Baptists. They just don't want to admit it. Um, all these people with all these backgrounds and some with no church backgrounds, some with completely irreligious backgrounds. They come and they're here and they worship together and they're learning together. And I want to say, if you're coming from one of those backgrounds and almost everyone I'm looking at comes from one of those backgrounds, you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. Because if we go through the book of Acts, we'll examine the foundations of the early church. This is what we have to do. This is our corrective, right? The word of God. And over the next few weeks especially, we'll be looking at the things in Acts chapter 2. We're going to take some extra time and look at those passages in Acts chapter 2 and kind of exegete those and and explain those more. And following those, we're going to see that they're foundational for the church and for Christian living, especially Acts 2.41 and 2.42. And as we look at those things, I promise you, this is not a good promise, but it's almost a guarantee, that at least some of your sensibilities and traditions will be offended. Bob, you're preaching most of those. Can we guarantee that probably someone will be a little offended? Maybe? Okay, good. Thank you, Bob. He, he, he's not, maybe he's not agreeing with me, but he's giving me grace. You're going to come, and you're going to hear things that you're like, I don't know if I would do it that way. But what we're trying to do as we look at the Word of God is saying, I don't want to do it Scott's way or Bob's way or Ricky's way. We don't want to do it your way or your way or your way. We want to understand What is it that God has set for us to do in his word? How do we correct our own traditions that may be wrong? 
How do we stop from building a tower that's leaning and in 100 years it's about to fall over? We want to dig our foundations deep and settled on the teaching of the apostles and prophets, the foundation that was laid for us by Jesus Christ. We're going to look at these passages in Acts chapter 2 that are foundational for the church and Christian living. And as we look at these things, we may be bothered as we see that maybe our traditions don't line up with the word of God. And as pastors, we take seriously the charge to build on the solid foundation of the word of God. And we take this seriously because we'll see in the word of God that the mission of God is serious. And God is calling out a people for his name from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. So I want to encourage you to keep coming back. If we get to the story, we get to baptism, and you're like, I don't know that I agree with you. That's okay. You don't have to agree with us. You just have to agree with God's word. And if I'm out of line, that's fine, okay? We want you to obey Christ. We're going to come back, and we're going to look at these passages. We're going to understand what God is doing how God is calling us to become part of this mission.